Steven here. Well, I'm back. Back here in the Lorehaven Studios, back from Orlando, Florida, and from the Texas coastline, somehow at the same time. That was a busy weekend, but also very restful. And you will indeed hear all about the Florida event with Realmakers Bookstore, as we have promised, just as soon as we talk with a super helpful guest coming next to Fantastical Truth. But for today, however, Zach and I want to open our Bibles and review the Lorehaven Faith Statement, the one that we updated at the turn of this year, 2022. In a world of confusion about reality and imagination, how do we at Lorehaven strive to uphold the Holy Scripture? Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meanings to the real world Jesus calls us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, Lorehaven's publisher and also the co-author of the nonfiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parents. And I'm Zachary Russell. And since we are talking about scripture today, my favorite translation right now is the CSB Christian Standard Bible. But in my head canon, everything is NIV because that's what I memorized the Bible in. And this is episode 115. How do Lorehaven creators strive to follow biblical statements of faith? My favorite translation of late is the ESV. That is the E. Stephen version. No, I don't have my own translation. <laughs> extra That's spiritual an, version. It's extra spiritual version. <laughs> AV 2001, folks. Uh, all the others are infiltrated by the New Agers and the Compromisers. Uh, this is the King's English <laughs> the ESV. I don't even know if we'll be quoting a lot of ESV verses, Zach, because I think you're the one who's uh, hit the uh, hit the books for this one. But yeah, we're, we're actually going to go over the Lorehaven uh, faith statement in this episode. It just seemed a good time to do so, oddly enough. Got back from my trip and did some checking in the records and realized, you know, we we upgraded the faith statement back in January of 2022, kind of a relaunch for the new year, and we never did a podcast episode about it. So we really do need to do that, especially with all of the challenges to Orthodox Christianity coming from all sides. That is something that Lorehaven wants to emphasize is not just the fact that we're into fantasy, sci-fi, all of this by Christian authors for the sake of imagination but for the sake of discipleship. And you cannot have biblical discipleship without the Bible. So we are tag teaming that one today. But I wanted to say first, Zach, how much I appreciated uh, the last episode, a bit of a calm station feedback here myself, uh, episode 114, the one with Daniel Friend, uh, speaking of the abolition of man, uh, getting into C.S. Lewis, uh, getting into his uh, podcast, The Testimony of Calvin Lewis. I couldn't imagine a more uh, a Calvinistic, a C.S. Lewis name there. <laughs> I still need to get into that uh, podcast. I'm really looking forward to that. So I appreciate uh, you putting that together and steering the ship whilst I was away. Yeah, it's been really great to see the engagement about that episode and about uh, Daniel's podcast, the, the Testimony of Calvin Lewis, and we'll have some feedback for that at the end. It's good to have you back, Stephen, and I'm I'm glad to just it's just going to be fun to just walk through the Bible today and walk through how biblical doctrine has shaped. Our operation here at Lorehaven. And yeah, like I said, I'm going to be quoting all from the NIV, even though I much prefer the CSB nowadays. You know, the NIV was my Bible of choice, Stephen, for over 20 years. And then they made a bunch of changes and then they sort of memory hold the original NIV from 1984. You can't find it online, uh, but I still have that version. Like I have so many verses from that version memorized that when I try to type something in, in my CSB Bible app, it, I can't ever find things. So I just said, ah, I'll just put in the NIV, but highly recommend the CSB. We, our family is doing, um, our, we're, we're doing our second round now of like a through the Bible reading plan. 
And we all have CSB Bibles. And I even have like a reader's version where it doesn't have the verse numbers or anything. It's just the text. And it's so nice. It's just like reading a book. And I, and we're just flying through it. We're going through Job right now as a family. And uh, so I, uh, Job might make an appearance today. You can't read enough Bible, right? And you can't like reread the Bible too many times. That's what's the best thing about it. Amen. Uh, you're not the only one, though, who carries the memory of uh, verses memorized in the NIV. I, there's a lot of verses that I memorized as a child set to music. There was a cassette series, a very, very niche. Like I don't think anybody might recognize it. But of course, now that I'm about to say it on the podcast, I think we're going to get letters about this. It was called GT and the Halo Express. GT stood for Good Tidings, a very angelic sort of name. Kind of a strange little series, but the best part about it was amidst this audio drama of angels popping in to help kids with their everyday struggles, they did these really genuinely catchy songs uh, with the uh, 80s uh, synth style, because this was, I think, the late 80s, early 90s when these were coming out. And they were legit. They helped me memorize a lot of verses to this day, uh, sometimes with the tune, sometimes without. So uh, don't knock a, uh, a kind of a uh, evangelical shtick product like that uh, before you've tried it, because in this case, it actually worked. Uh, even though I prefer the ESV now, mm-hmm. I still have uh, quite the soft spot for the NIV. Uh, speaking of books that we really enjoy, uh, let's go real quick to our sponsor for this episode. They're actually doing the first sponsor, Be Us, for this one, uh, simply because on Monday, June the 6th, we have launched our next book quest in the Lorehaven Guild. That's the Discord server that's exclusive to free Lorehaven email subscribers. Our book of choice is Lost Bits uh, from Carrie Neitz. It is a robo-drama is what I like to call it. And we just reviewed this at Lorehaven. You can find that review and all other links in the show notes for this episode. Lost Bits is a story of a robot who wakes up and finds himself in a robot's grave. Uh, He gathers enough solar energy, climbs out of the pile of refuse, and then sets off to seek his family, even though he can't remember why they would have abandoned him. And after a while, he meets some unlikely allies and tries to discover what in the world happened to planet Earth while he was unconscious. It really is a story about a creation of man trying to fulfill his purpose. I really love this story of K404, the robot who finds himself abandoned. And we're all going to explore that book uh, starting Monday, June the 6th in the Lorehaven Guild. But if it's after that date, no worries. You can jump in and enjoy the book as we progress. Uh, we're going to be doing that through the month of June. Just go to lorehaven.com and you can subscribe and we will automatically send you the free access code for the Lorehaven Guild, our server on Discord. If you're subscribed, you should already have that link. Uh, just go back to your welcome email and we have automatically sent that to you. We're going to really enjoy exploring this science fiction book, which is a standalone book, so it's not a series just yet. And it is hot off the press. Uh, Kerry Neitz, I uh, must say, a bit of a disclosure here. He's a friend of mine, but he published this book. I just put it onto the interwebs for access uh, just within the last week or so on June the 1st. So go to lorehaven.com, subscribe, and get your exclusive access to the Lorehaven Guild Discord server for that book quest. Stephen, when I memorized a bunch of Bible verses in college, when I first started doing that, I had little note cards that one of my friends had printed up for me and handed to me. It was part of some ministry he was involved in. And I had an Altoids tin <laughs> that I kept those in because I've always loved Altoids since forever. So I always have those little extra little, you know, tins. And I would just keep that on my pocket when I'm waiting in line somewhere. And I would just memorize the Bible that way. And man, I, I can't recommend that enough because I've tried like the apps, but then of course, as soon as you get out your phone, you're distracted by a million other things. 
there's a lot I could say about Bible and Maria. Our kids are in Awana. I study the persecuted church in China where that's literally the only Bible they have is the Bible between their ears. Zach, in your faith tradition, did you ever also memorize statements of faith, uh, which are not the scripture, but they condense the scripture uh, into mission platforms and they go back all the way to the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and then there's many other different confessions that uh, cross the denominations today? You know, not really. I've been kind of evangelical, almost non-denominational Baptist uh, since late high school, but as a kid, I did go to more traditional Presbyterian and Lutheran churches, and they would often have kind of liturgical readings. And um, yeah, and it, it's interesting to see a lot of evangelical churches kind of incorporating that now. Uh, my mother-in-law's church does that, for example. So um, yeah, it, it's a newer thing to me, though. Yeah, I think I've grown up with that a little bit more than I do remember, of course, the Apostles' Creed. And with the help of the late Rich Mullins, I think I actually managed to memorize that uh, Rich Mullins has a fantastic song called Creed, where he sets it to the most catchy melody imaginable. Uh, and it's one of my favorite Rich Mullins songs. Uh, he also skips the whole debate over the uh, the original Apostles' Creed says that Christ ascended to hell. And on the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven, I believe. And later on, it says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, lowercase c, you know, because it meant something different there when they put together the Apostles' Creed. And now the uh, the word uppercase C is usually denoting the Roman Catholic Church. Rich Mullins just saying one holy church, which I think is a great way to just bypass all of that. So uh, at Lorehaven, we don't use the Apostles' Creed for uh, our, our platform there. Uh, Lorehaven, of course, is not a church. And we'll go here to uh, what I call the concession stand for the confession stand. That's what you do when you are <laughs> reciting a creed in church. Uh, you are confessing what you believe with other believers. You are tightening your mission, tightening your focus, and make sure that you do not drift from that foundation of biblical faith. Uh, here's a first concession here. Naturally, this episode theme is a little more truth and less fantastical. Every once in a while, we just like to step back and do uh, almost a nonfiction topic only. Otherwise, we have no foundation for the fantastical elements. Like I said earlier, too, this just seemed a good time here in the month of June to review what we believe as Christians and why uh, every Lorehaven staff creator uh, signs on to this document. It doesn't apply to every reader. It doesn't apply to every author we feature. Uh, but generally, if someone is going to create for Lorehaven, we're going to send this to them and say, hey, what do you think? Can you sign on to this? And a couple of people have had questions and such. And every once in a while, you know, like, okay, we see where you're coming from. But generally, this is something that we want to adhere to uh, as an organization at Lorehaven. Another disclaimer, uh, not every faith statement, of course, can say everything true about the biblical faith. Uh, this statement is no exception, although it's definitely too long to be read aloud in church. It's not nearly as punchy as the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we will explore those questions here and there as we go through this document. Yes, we are reading the whole thing uh, bit by bit, 10 points here on the podcast. Uh, you, listener, may have questions about uh, the beliefs we espouse in the uh, statement of faith, the sacred scrolls at Lorehaven. We don't think that means you're not a Christian. Uh, there's a few people who may have some issue with some of the wording here. Uh, I know one person was telling me recently, you know, like I like 95% of the faith statement, but the wording about hell, like, oh, I actually believe this. Like that doesn't automatically mean you're unsaved. I think there's a, there's a few beliefs that if you intentionally disagree with them, like, well, okay, yeah, I think that means you're not a Christian. Might want to look into that. Uh, but uh, we have to evaluate those things on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, the purpose here is to include people in the faith, not primarily to exclude people. 
Of course, you can read the full faith statement in the show notes, the Lorehaven Sacred Scrolls. We will include that there. Uh, Finally, this uh, wording here is how we introduce the statement of faith at Lorehaven. Quote, all Lorehaven staff creators and guest writers, as well as quest guides in the Lorehaven Guild, must agree with our Sacred Scrolls faith statement. Christian authors whose novels we list or review may choose to affirm any comparable Orthodox faith statement, though not necessarily this statement. End quote. I'll also mention that we had a lot of great feedback from pastors and other advisors. Uh, everybody writing at Lorehaven at the time had a hand in the wording here. Uh, we feel it's a great representation of how we approach the biblical gospel as believers, creating stuff for Lorehaven. Stephen, I'm really glad we're just going over this. This was uh, not necessarily on our radar, but you know we've had this faith statement out there for a while, so it's important that we talk about it. But also, there's this uh, conversation I'm following that I shared with you offline where someone just started off this massive thread in Twitter and said, why is fantasy and sci-fi and fandom generally so degenerate? And so this is coming from a very culturally conservative standpoint, but not necessarily a Christian standpoint. And, you know, there's a lot of Christians that are big readers, but maybe want to stay away from fantasy and sci-fi for, you know, they've heard certain things, or maybe they've experienced certain things. And they might come across a conversation like this and go like, why are you guys at Lorehaven into sci-fi and fantasy? Like, isn't that degenerate and anti-biblical? And, you know, who are you guys anyway? Like, are you even Christians? And so there can be a lot of misconceptions about this fandom. And, you know, we are a uniquely Christian fandom of Christian authored books in these genres. And so I think it really helps that we establish this to say, look, this is ultimately where we come from. This is our highest fandom if you will, is the scriptures, and we're going to lay it all out here. Amen to that. There can be many reasons that faithful Christians enjoy fantasy and sci-fi. We try to push back on some of those reasons here at Lorehaven, uh, among those uh, kind of a statement of rebellion. Like uh, there may be fewer of these folks out there, but I can imagine someone who grew up in what could only be called a culturally fundamentalist church, for example, very strict, you know, the kind of go around measuring hemlines and forbidding certain foods or even marriage, you know, the things the Apostle Paul said you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to forbid those things. They are good gifts of God. I say that imagination also is a good gift of God. It goes back to the cultural mandate of Genesis 1. That's our proactive reasoning for enjoying these gifts of imagination in redemptive context. We are not degenerate. Hopefully we are regenerate. That's a much more biblical concept. And I think it's a more biblical concept to enjoy the stories for these reasons other than uh, as a as a rebellion against the bad Christians or as an act of resistance against the bad Christians. Like, we don't want to use a good gift of God as a bludgeon against uh, people who disobey God with their legalism. I, I can understand and empathize if someone feels that way, but I think that that is uh, an interim stage. Uh, we need to grow toward enjoying these gifts as acts of worship toward God. And I'm getting ahead of myself uh, because we need to get into the faith statement here, but that's another big reason that we're going over this now. Just to kind of remind ourselves, you know, have that faith statement up on the site. Like, this is what we believe. Uh, this is not only our Sunday confession of faith, this is our you know Monday through Sunday confession of faith, and it affects every creative act that we do. It should be the foundation of every exploration we do of fantasy and sci-fi at Lorehaven. So let's start with point one here. There are 10 points. We're going to go through them. And uh, also, after we read each bit here, taking turns, uh, Zach and I may try to stump each other. We may try to uh, uh, see whether the other person is really orthodox by coming up with a a tough question off the top of our heads. Unscripted here, folks. The only scripted part is the excerpt from the Statement of Faith. 
Point one is the Bible. Each one has a header here. Number one, the Bible, quote, Scripture is our only inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word of God. Men wrote the Bible by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Each book reflects its human author's personality, language, and genre choices, yet flows into a single narrative called the gospel. The Bible consists of 66 books in Old and New Testaments. Good translations give us confidence to know God's intent. End quote. Uh, Zach, I have a stumper question there. What means that word inerrant? Where it says scriptures are only inerrant, et cetera, et cetera, word of God. Oh, you're going to try to stump me, huh? Yes. Well, you stump <laughs> me back. That's kind of the point of this exercise. Well, you know what? I'm going to answer that with a scripture verse, which is Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So this is kind of my answer to it, that every word that God speaks that has been recorded in the Bible is flawless. So that the scripture was recorded without error. It has been transmitted to us through the generations, and it's not a game of telephone like the skeptics would say, and it just gets changed over time. We have tons of archaeological evidence that that hasn't happened. There's a lot of debate that gets a little academic about is the scripture inerrant only in the original manuscripts, or is it inerrant in the copy of it that we have today that's been translated into another language? Man, that can get really deep really quick. But I just go back to this simple verse. Every word of God is flawless. I got to trust that the word, the words of God that I have in the Bible today is what he wanted me to read because Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So that's my answer to it. I hope that gets around the stump a little bit. What, what's your answer to it? I think that's a great answer, and I appreciate you going to the Old Testament for that verse. Uh, the the keystone verse that most folks have in mind is Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen through seventeen. I'll use the NIV here. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love the phrasing there. I mean, it's similar in other translations, but I just love that purpose statement they are thoroughly equipped for every good work it actually reminds me of how we open the podcast where we say that we explore fantastical stories for god's glory and apply their meanings in the real world jesus calls us to serve that's the mission that we're called to we're worshiping god but also spreading his gospel serving the world and the way that we do that is by being equipped by scripture uh, that inerrant word is related to the phrase here that the translators uh, translate as god breathed god has literally breathed out the words of scripture it is his very word as you mentioned, Zach, I think Christians can debate about whether that applies to the original manuscripts only or is in some way carried through to the copies. Uh, there's a vast tradition of copying scripture. And once you look into it, by the way, you actually find that all the different copies can be harmonized. You're able to oh, follow this transmission tradition across the centuries. And you see that there are more copies of scripture, which makes them more reliable uh, than other manuscripts of the time period, like some of the philosophical documents from Plato and Aristotle. Like few people challenge that we actually have their words, uh, the words of you know, Greek philosophers. There's more challenge to scripture, uh, mainly because scripture speaks with more authority. It's not just a man sitting around in a toga uh, coming up with words of wisdom. Uh, these are several people in togas you know, across the centuries, going back across the Old and New Testaments, uh, whose uh, religious beliefs, whose gospel ultimately does harmonize. 
Notice here too, Zach, we started with the Bible. Uh, some statements of faith start with God, uh, but the only reason we know about God is because of the Bible. And Zach, you mentioned too, that element of trusting in God. Although we line up these uh, statements here in the statement of faith in a particular linear order, uh, the first two kind of circle each other. Uh, because we believe that God is good and loving, we believe that he wants to be known. We believe that he will therefore communicate himself, reveal himself to his people. That's why, I believe, uh, that's why we believe that the Bible is clear to understand. Uh, it's not going to be locked away uh, in a dusty room somewhere, uh, guarded uh, by men who only know the, or the, the only men who know the ancient language of the Bible. Uh, that's been an issue in church history, oddly enough, uh, but we believe that because God is good, he wants to be known. He will therefore reveal himself, and therefore the Bible is clear, and the Bible is accessible. Yeah, and I think I think the operative word here, too, is authority. It's our authority. And, you know, that's the question everyone has to ask. Is Scripture your authority, or is it just a reference book? And is, is it a historical book? Is it literature? You know, and that we very much take the view that it is our boss. <laughs> like, it is what guides our life. It's our authority. And I don't really see any reason to study the Bible if it's not your authority. I mean, because it, it has tons of moral imperatives. So I think what everyone's really wondering is, Stephen, are we wearing togas now while we're doing this podcast? Because that seems to be the tradition. Yes. Togas, sandals. I've got the little uh, leaves behind my ear. Go like to the Lorehaven store for our Lorehaven branded togas. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Hey, that's a great uh, merch idea, actually. <laughs> uh, notice, too, that we actually reference the inspiration process there and saying that each book reflects its human author's personality. I think that's important from a creative vantage as well as that belief in inerrancy is that, yes, each book of the Bible carries a certain set of vocabulary and a certain emphasis and an often limited point of view. You know, if you're familiar with the you know, fiction creation tropes, you know, POV point of view. Uh, recently I got hold of, there's actually a, um, a podcast where they just take a bunch of uh, scriptures in a Bible reading in one year format and stick them together. Uh, and it's a little confusing because sometimes you'll jump from the book of second Samuel and then suddenly you're back in the Psalms and like, well, where, where's the jump? You know, they don't put a break in there, but I noticed that second Samuel is so historical, like parts of it, are, it's pretty clear uh, are just simple historical documentation of the the rise and reign of King David. And, you know, all of the genealogies and stuff they put in there are intended to support this. So it's human. I mean, this is a book about human beings written by scribes and record keepers. It's going to have their personality. It's going to have their intent. But it's also inspired by God, uh, which I really appreciate just in terms of how God chose to reveal himself. Uh, he could have just made it all sound like one capital V voice, you know, dropping it from the sky uh, on a golden tablet or something. Uh, instead, God is a little more earthy than that. Uh, he comes to earth as Christ, the second person of the Trinity, both God and man, uh, thereby endorsing his creation. But even before then, he is working through the vocabulary and the limitations of men, uh, directing them, God breathing his own words through their words. Uh, it's both man's writing and God's word ultimately. And I just, I delight in that. Uh, as a human being, like I like to read stuff that people wrote, uh, but super bonus prize. It turns out that God himself is behind the inspiration process all along. Yeah. And it's so cool that there's three different languages in the Bible. There's Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek in the original manuscripts. And so he wrote, he wrote his words out through human authors of many different languages and cultures. And that's, uh, you know, going into Acts 17, that he's determined the times and Places set for each person. He's created all nations out of one nation or out of one man. And so 
he very much is a God for the whole world, for every nation, for every ethnic group, for every language. But we're getting into our second category. We are. Let's, let's jump over and talk about number two, God. Quote, God is our creator and our sovereign ruler of all things in heaven and earth. He eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He alone has the right to define natural law and moral law, all beauty, goodness, and truth, and any virtues such as love, holiness, and wrath, end quote. Ooh, we end with the word wrath there, Zach. You want to stump me first on this Ooh. one? Okay, well, do we only see his wrath in the Old Testament? No, certainly the New Testament. Christ himself shows uh, fairly significant examples of wrath, uh, especially against hypocrites and those who abuse the people and point them away from Christ. And then certainly in Revelation 19 through 20, you get plentiful examples of God's wrath against mm -hmm. armies arrayed across the planet to fight against the returning Messiah. Uh, whether or how, how that's literal or how that's figurative, that is for others to decide in another podcast episode, perhaps. But you see fire constantly across both Testaments uh, as uh, not only a metaphor for God's wrath, but in many cases, a very literal manifestation uh, that yeah. God has the right to punish sin. He has the right to judge people. And I think a corollary to that is, do we only see God's love in the New Testament, in which I'm going to answer no. Certainly not. The, the passage I want to quote here is Exodus 34, 6 through 7. It says, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and mm. faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. We, we see very clearly all of God's attributes in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we're not going to unhitch from the Old Testament, <laughs> as has been uh, falsely suggested by some. Uh, I understand where folks may have issues with the Old Testament or its portrayal of God, uh, but I point to one emphasis that we have at Lorehaven is that stories should be realistic, even stories made up by people. Uh, we emphasize, by the way, God here is the creator. Uh, that's implicitly supportive of the idea that God made people to also make stuff, uh, even going back to the human author personality in point one there about the Bible. But we understand that the stories we make should be realistic. We, we cannot shy away from the uglier aspects of reality or the aspects of reality that make us uncomfortable. God's wrath is one of those things, and a lot of the things that God did in the Old Testament uh, count as that, and so we didn't want to leave that out or minimize that in the faith statement. Uh, we don't want to be you know, the kind of sentimentalist uh, Christian who denies uh, the reality of evil and suffering in the world uh, and denies the reality that God has to take some pretty drastic actions uh, in order to defend his nature, in order to be consistent with himself as he's revealed himself. Uh, and in order to bring the most amount of good to us and the most amount of glory to himself. Now, I want to point out something here, Stephen, that you and I are both talking on the level of God as a character in the story of the Bible. The hero, um, capital yeah. H, author and hero. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that just comes second nature to us with our fandom of fiction. But, you know, th there's also another approach that's a little more abstract that just looks at God through his attributes, through his, you know, nature and like what, what it almost like a physics problem. And I, I think there's definitely a place for that. We have to know exactly who this being is we're talking about. So we can look at passages that show he's omniscient or omnipotent or et cetera, et cetera. 
But I think what most people ultimately hone in on is what kind of person is God? You know, who is he? And, you know, we're, we're going to see his full character revealed through Jesus. And we'll talk about Jesus in a little bit. But that that is really what it comes down to is who do you think God is and and how do you relate to him as a person? From there, we must study how God created people. I've already mentioned that. There's going to be a lot of jumping ahead in this episode. So point three here of our statement of faith is creation. Quote, God created and rules his universe as its ultimate authority. God's creation can and does reflect certain divine attributes. All real beauty, goodness, and truth comes from God, even in a world that rejects him. End quote. Zach, you referenced uh, God's authority there. We put in the phrase ultimate authority. God rules his universe. He is not a distant uh, watchmaker who winds it up and then steps back and goes off into the multiverse somewhere and just lets this one uh, keep running. Uh, God is intimately involved in his creation, but creation is not God. Creation does reflect, however, uh, certain attributes of God, like beauty, goodness, and truth. That is there to see, but you can't stop there at saying, well, the world shows God's beauty because the world also shows a lot of ugliness that does not come from God. And we actually get to that in point five here. In fact, I can't think of a stump question here. Can, can you think of one to see whether I'm a actually Orthodox Christian? Yeah. What, what does universe mean? Oh, wow. That's a go. What is the universe? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, certain hymns and verses, I mean, refer to you know, things seen and unseen. All things were created by him and for him. Without him was nothing made that has been made. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of Colossians. I'm thinking of John 1, which has, other than Genesis, possibly the most epic start to a book in the Bible. Uh, I love the wording there. Uh, this is kind of subtly echoing that. Uh, I love... I'm, I'm, the, it's the universe. I mean, things seen and unseen, physical laws, uh, all, all, mathematical, like the very invisible constructs of the universe, not just cells and atoms and quarks and all of the invisible particles. Physical there. forces, even. Yeah. Yes, everything. Like the entire mathematical equation, you know, the, that governs the universe. Just whatever metaphors we can borrow from that reflect our, our modern obsessions there, whether it's algorithms or storytelling or whatever, that's the universe. Uh, and it is seemingly boundless but god even more so the universe appears infinite and therefore points to god who is truly infinite but as we mentioned in point two i mean god has his own attributes he defines his own attributes people say well, god is love that does not mean that love is god god defines love you cannot understand what love is without understanding who god is and god's love is seen in the universe even in the interactions of the creatures even in a fallen world, we get to in point five about creation's curse. You still see the goodness and the majesty of God showing through, as the psalmists love to point out. You know, the great irony of the last hundred years is that we have so much light pollution from artificial lighting in cities that we don't see the stars quite as well as the writers of the Bible did. But at the same time, we have telescopes that can see things that they could never possibly see. And it wasn't until um, I think it was the Hubble, the, the original telescope that Hubble uh, developed that he could see other galaxies. Like you, you couldn't see these without magnification. And so we didn't even realize we were in a galaxy, much less one of hundreds of billions. But, you know, I, I love Psalm eight, which says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. Now there again, that's, I think that's the newer, newer 
That's the yeah, newer I noticed NIV. there. What, what is man? Yeah, they're, what is they're, man they're that making you're a little more gender yeah. neutral. Yeah, come on. We, we understand mankind means humankind. <laughs> it means men and women. Greek uh, adelphoi means brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, the, um, the but the psalmist really touches on something I I think even more important than just the fact that God made everything. It's that He made everything and He knows our names. Like He, he knows. He knows who we are and he cares about us, that we are a very special part of his creation. And at the same time, we are a very small part of his creation. Now, you know, the secular scientists would just take the first half of this passage and say, well, what is man that you are mindful of them? You know, and they, they would, they would almost say it sarcastically. Like Carl Sagan said, you know, we're a speck on a speck on a speck. You know, what, do, what do we matter? We're nothing, but it's, it's not the question. It's, it's a rhetorical question. What are human beings that you care for them? Like David is looking at the universe and going, wow, like God made all of this and he cares about us. That's the really incredible part. Zach, I fully agree. And in a moment, we'll get to number four, humanity. Why has God made people? How did he make them? And what has he given us to do? Which first though, leads me to my second sponsor for this episode which once more is the Rome Makers Conference, the uh, Christian-led Writers Conference, the 10th annual conference this year, being held just about six weeks from now, actually. Wow, it's coming up fast. I got to try to figure out if I get my costume together. It is in Atlantic <laughs> City, New Jersey from July 21st through 23rd, but it's also live online. So even if you can't drive or fly to the conference, which may be an undertaking for you, Christian creator, uh, you can still attend this event. Here's the official description, slightly abridged, because I've already... Uh, jumped into part of it. Are you excited to take the next step in your speculative fiction journey? Not an actual trip to space or through time or forging your own sword. Instead, joining us for Realmakers 2022. It's in person in Atlantic City and live online. Every class live streamed for virtual attendees. Either way, you'll have a chance to connect on the Realm Sphere, a dedicated conference space in our online community. Realmakers 2022 is an amazing value because this year every attendee gets access to replays of every class through the Realm Sphere. Whether you attend live or online, you will be able to pitch any manuscript you have. If you're a writer of these kinds of stories we love at Lorehaven, not just a reader of them, you can pitch that story if you're interested in publication to participating agents and editors. This is a great event. I've been to all but two Realmakers conferences. Uh, live in person, except for that one virtual event in 2020, which was also great. So which I can vouch speak of. for both of them. Well, I, I love the I love that one, and in fact, it actually helped. Uh, oh, I just meant the, that year. Yeah. Of, oh, the year 2020. Yes, that year we do not speak of. Yeah, no, I I, I love the live option, and in fact, it helped it was inspire good. the uh, the Lorehaven Guild uh, also in a Discord because there was like a Realmakers Conference Discord server there for a while. It was really cool. Either way, you can register for Rollmakers 2022. You got about six weeks to do that if you haven't already. Really hope to see you there. I tend to ask a lot of my creative friends if I get to see them there and always happy to unite. Uh, Lorehaven will, of course, have a booth in the vendor hall at Rollmakers. A bunch of our team members will be there, a bunch of our staff creators, the ones who sign on to the faith statement we're exploring today. Uh, find the link to Rollmakers registration in our show notes for episode 115 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. And you can learn more, of course, at uh, realmmakers.com. From there, let's jump to humanity. Point four of the faith statement at Lorehaven, quote, God created human beings in his own image, giving us creative abilities, a call to steward the earth, and moral responsibility for our choices. The chief end of all people is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
Adam and Eve, however, rejected this purpose and chose to rebel against God's command. End quote. There could have been a lot more to say there. Uh, like we could have addressed the six days, uh, that sort of thing. I guess I just want to stump myself. Hey, why didn't you, why didn't you uh, take a stand for literal six day creation there in this uh, faith statement? Well, it's technically not something that Christians must agree with to be saved. However, it is important to recognize the reality of a historical Adam and Eve, a historical fall. I believe these were literal 24-hour periods. I think that can be reconciled with true science, but it's important here just to get the general point across that humans are God's creation, tasked by God with certain mission to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Worked a little of the confession in there. Uh, that statement, by the way, drives how we at Lorehaven want to understand the purpose of worship and the purpose of story sharing and creation as part of that ultimate mission. Uh, stories are not just a means of evangelism or fighting sin because God gave, gave Adam and Eve imaginations in the stewardship call in a world before sin. Uh, stories, of course, require conflict. And I don't know how they would have told stories without conflict, but you could have, I mean, you, you still had an uphill, you had still had some struggles. I mean, there's still challenges in the Garden of Eden. Uh, you had to plant stuff and hope it would grow, even if you didn't deal with the thorns and thistles. So who knows how that would have worked? I think it would have worked somehow. It's interesting to speculate about. But as it is, uh, Adam and Eve, however, of course, decided to fall into sin. And we get in the next point to creation's curse. Yeah. So one quick thing or two quick things to say here, you know, about the 24 hour period being literal, but also matching it with science. There's an astrophysicist I want to have on the show sometime that she has a really excellent theory about how this matches up. Because you have to start dealing with relativity when you talk about the expansion of the universe. Yes. Actually going faster than the speed of light and how that changes things. And, and you know, 24 hours relative to who? <laughs> you, know, the, you can have different reference points for how fast or slow time is moving. And so I think there's a couple of different ways to make sense of that. But I think the important thing here in this uh, section is Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, my favorite thing uh, and why I chose this passage is that there is a Chinese character that means to create, and it's pronounced Zhao. And it's really cool when you look at the different components of that character because you can see uh, there's almost like smaller characters within there. There's one for dust. There's one for mouth. There's one for to speak. There's one part that's uh, walking or living. So you see the whole Genesis story in that one character. And there's a lot of theories about how that could have come about in their written language. But the important thing is that God made us and that, that humanity is a special act of creation. And yes, I do believe that Adam and Eve were literal people. Look, I'm, I'm a big astronomy guy, so I don't know how to make sense of all of that put together but somehow it works. And the most important thing is that we were made by God. Yes, and for the Lorehaven mission in particular, uh, the other important thing is what God made us to do, which is uh, reflected in the cultural mandate, as many theologians have called it, in Genesis one twenty-eight. Again, I'm reading from the NIV, quote, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. End quote. And God later goes on to talk about uh, seed-bearing plants and uh, their call to stewardship over the animals. Uh, implicit there, as I mentioned, is that call to work out their imaginations, to imitate God making stuff using God's stuff. 
And that's more implicit here in the faith statement, but it's important to understand if we're going to explore stories, this is why we're doing it, uh, because God has given us uh, this call as part of his larger call uh, to be stewards over the earth. A stewardship, of course, that got ruined because we're moving to number five, creation's curse. Quote, Adam's and Eve's choice brought God's curse of death upon the world. This will lead to a person's eternal separation from God in a place called hell. God's curse also affects his own creation and all of our creative works, including our storytelling and culture making with sin, idolatry, suffering, trauma, and death. Because we bear God's image, our stories may reflect glimpses of God's beauty, goodness, and truth, yet they often show these virtues broken and distorted. For now, we need discernment to best enjoy God's world and human creations. End quote. I can't think of a, a stumper there uh, other than um, understanding that, yes, we're not just made to worship God by virtue of like lifting our hands and staring into the sky inspirationally. We are supposed to make those stuff, but the stuff that we make is corrupt because now human hearts are corrupt because humans have lost connection with their creator. Apart from redemption in Christ, uh, we want to take God's stuff away from him and say, no, this is mine. I made it. You know, We're acting like God, which is not only ridiculous, but also self-destructive. There's kind of two aspects to this curse, right? There's in Genesis 3, it says, cursed is the ground because of you. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. But then he goes on to talk about, you know, Adam's work is going to be really hard from now on. That if by the sweat of your brow, you know, you're, you're going to create food and, and everything else is going to, everything that Adam creates is going to be infected with this curse. Everything that we create is, is flawed in some way or, or it may be idolatrous in other ways. Stephen, I guess the stumper question here would be, since we talk about Christian stories, can a Christian story lead you to sin or temptation? You know, could there be sinful aspects of a Christian story? Almost certainly. Uh, I've read a few. I mean, someone can read the Bible and feel compelled to sin, but that is the sinful desire rising from within themselves. Uh, it's not the fault of the Bible if someone reads it and then decides that they need to go kill somebody or something like that. And it's not necessarily the fault of a Christian author. Like even a Christian author is mistaken on some stuff. And I mean, if somebody falls into heresy after they read The Shack, I don't know if you can wholly blame The Shack, you know, which is written by at least uh, two uh, Orthodox Christians there who may have had the best intentions. There was kind of a trio of authors there, two of whom were often uncredited. Uh, some books uh, may lead someone to heresy, but yeah, I don't think they're necessarily uh, guilty of that. You know, each person is guilty of his own sinful choices arising from the idolatry in his heart as a fallen person. So from there, we need to find redemption in Jesus Christ. We're going to start going more quickly here as we move into the happier portions of the faith statement. Number six, Jesus Christ, quote, God started his epic gospel redemption narrative in Genesis 3, then gave mankind a tutor in the Old Testament law, a temporary guardian until Jesus arrived to fulfill this law. We believe Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life, worked real miracles, and recruited disciples. He fought false teaching and used sermons and stories alike to teach his followers about his kingdom. Jesus surrendered his life to crucifixion, suffering real death as final atonement for sinners. Three days later, he resurrected himself from death in a physical body. Later, he ascended to heaven to sit at his father's right hand, reigning and planning his return. End quote. I can't think of any stumpers there. Uh, it, it takes a lot of work to try to make absolutely certain when you're talking about the incarnation uh, that this phrasing is orthodox. And that's why I'm really grateful to the pastors and uh, other advisors, strong Christians all uh, who uh, fed back uh, on all, every point of the faith statement at Lorehaven. 
Well, I did see this uh, book cover in a uh, different uh, Facebook group I'm in, I'm in yesterday, and it it was a um, it had an image on it that I've seen on standard Christian books of like the empty tomb, but from like what like from within the tomb, looking out, and the stones rolled away, and there's sun shining, and uh, but then the title of the book was like, was Jesus an alien and find out the truth about how UFOs, you know, abducted Jesus back to the mothership or something. No, I'm like, wow, this no. is not a Christian Fail. sci-fi novel. Uh, uh yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, if you tried to submit that to the Lorehaven library, we would kick that back out and then yes. tell you to go to a better church. <laughs> well, in, in my comment on that book, I mean, everyone was just laughing about this book in, in this group I'm in because we, everyone could see through it that this is not a orthodox christian book but my comment was hey that's actually the theory of the villain in the christ clone trilogy you know this is uh that, that should tell you something but you know my favorite passage here about jesus is colossians three fifteen: the sun is the image of the invisible god so everything that we have seen glimpses of in the old testament about god we see fully in jesus christ and um one of my favorite books, Stephen, it's this devotional book from 1908 called The Character of Jesus by Charles Edward Jefferson. And this was in my grandfather's library and before him, my great-grandfather. And this goes, each chapter of this book is an attribute of Jesus. And they're often seemingly competing attributes like his strength and then his meekness or his boldness and then his humility. And, you know, there's a certain trend today. It's uh, not to get too deep, but there's this path a lot of people follow of take a thesis and then an antithesis and somehow make a synthesis. Yeah. And so it's like you have to find, uh yeah, you have to find opposite things and then find how they work together. But that's not at all what this book is. It's, it's about balance because Jesus is the embodiment and the fullness of all virtues. And the author makes this point that if you look at a man who's deformed on one side, like maybe he has a missing arm or a, a leg that like, is shorter or something like that, or he's missing an eye or just if someone's had a stroke, you know, if we're bilateral beings. And so when one side is uneven compared to the other, we immediately notice it and notice that something's, you know, out of balance. And how rarely do we notice when a person is out of balance, when they, you know, says Jesus is full of truth and grace. You know, we've, we've all met people that are all truth or they're all grace (laughs) and they don't have the other one. And those aren't competing values. That's not my point. It's that you have to have all the virtues uh, in order to to stay balanced. And so that, if you can find that, but books on Kindle, you, you can't find it in print unless it's used. But, you know, you can't study enough about Jesus and how he is the full embodiment of all of uh, who God is, as a, again, as a character in this story, as a real character, but as a person, as, as a personality. Exactly. Zach, you mentioned that Christ is full of both grace and truth. The phrasing comes from the Apostle John in John chapter 1. I want to comment briefly on the phrasing that we use here, that the Old Testament law is a temporary guardian until Jesus arrived. Uh, that's inspired in part by uh, Matthew 5.17. I'll read it in the ESV this time. Christ is on his Sermon on the Mountain. He's saying, quote, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Verse 18, he says, for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. End quote. Christians of goodwill debate over what is meant by pass from the law and, and of course until all is accomplished. I think the simple reading of there is that Christ did come to fulfill the law. The law was always pointing to him. I actually like the portrayal of the law in Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, we were talking about that with Zachary Bartles a few episodes ago. 
the law is almost like an anti-hero, almost like the Punisher who arrives to burn <laughs> down your house over your head. You know, the law's purpose is uh, not to be an enemy of God, but to drive you to God. You understand under the law that you cannot fulfill God's absolutely righteous standard. You must be broken by the law. And then you fall uh, to the feet of Christ and understand that you need a redeemer. Christ kept the law perfectly. He never broke it, not once. He does not unhitch us from the Old Testament law. He fulfills the Old Testament law. And therefore, we rejoice in him. We make him the Lord of our lives. And we live to become more like him. As per point number seven here, salvation, quote, Jesus calls all people to repent of their sin and be born again, that is, spiritually regenerated and reconciled to our loving God. A person may see this conversion in a moment early in life or even over time. Christians of good faith can debate the order or doctrinal priority of the salvation process. Anyone is saved according to the scripture alone, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in the perfect work of Jesus Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. End quote. That last phrase, by the way, uh, the five solas are in there. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide. Uh, so I forget what the perfect work price line. I should know my five solas here. I'm reformed <laughs> in everything. You know, I don't know soli, Latin at all or pretend The last to. <laughs> one is Soli Deo Gloria, which is just there a fantastically go. Christian phrase. I loved it so much. I made it a pretty a key point in my science fiction novel. Uh, that's salvation for you. And we insert that phrase about debating the order or doctrinal priority of the salvation process. That's a shout out to all the folks fighting over Calvinism versus Arminianism or predestination versus free will. We don't get into that here, although I certainly get into it elsewhere. Yeah. And the verse I want to go to here is, is really just the classic one because you can't get enough of this. It's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I chose this verse because, you know, every competitor religion, including sociological, ideological, cultural religions, are are going to reverse this. They're going to say, you have to do work in order to be accepted. Uh, You have to create something of your own. You have to adhere to something to be saved, in a sense. And no, we we are saved by Christ. He saves us out of his grace. It's not out of our works. We can't boast. But then, you know, I included verse 10 because we aren't just saved and then do nothing. Like we are saved. I mean, we are first, we are first of all God's work. (laughs) You know, we are not our own work. It's not our own works that make us anything. We, we are, as our identity, are a work of God. But then we are created to do good works. And so we are saved to do the work that he's given us to do. Amen. That's the mission for which we're created. And the works that we do are out of gratitude to God, not slavish obligation. We exist to glorify God. And in glorifying God, we find a perfect eternal happiness, especially after we die and we move forward to the restoration of all things. We got a few steps to get through, though, before we talk about that, starting with number eight, the church. That is how we are recruited to this mission. We don't just go out there as rogue agents. We join a gathering of saints, an institution, one might even say, that God himself has founded, quote, by the Holy Spirit, God organizes a kingdom of redeemed saints. This is called the Church, capital C, consisting of many local churches, small c. A local church is defined by many requirements, among them biblical teaching, fellowship, worship, regular meetings, and membership limited to Christians. All biblical Christians must join a local church in some way or else actively seek out qualifying local churches in their area. 
Good Christians may disagree with minor doctrine points or suffer serious harm from church abuse or false teaching, but these experiences, even if hurtful, do not disqualify local church participation. End quote. I do want to say we put that in there because every person who writes for Lorehaven, who creates for Lorehaven in some way, uh, we want them to be members of local churches. We don't want to fall into that uh, internet phenomenon of people deciding that they've kind of had it with the local church in their area. They've suffered too much harm or they're just too heathen or something. Uh, so we need to sit around the internet and pretend that we're at church, uh, even doing good stuff like making novels or joining Lorehaven. We want to make sure that anyone who writes for us anyway uh, is grounded in a local church that is faithful to the gospel in some way. So we extol that here uh, with point eight here of the faith statement. Yeah, and the verse I want to go to is Ephesians 2.21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And the rest of Ephesians 2 is so good about the nature of the church because, you know, we, we, we can't be the church individually. We, we, we aren't just like individual churches autonomously. You know, we have, we need each other. You know, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the different gifts of the Holy Spirit that he's given out to the church. Ephesians 2 talks about he's given us different roles and gifts to, for the building up of his church. And that, you know, that we're members of the same household. We're fellow citizens. Christ is the cornerstone. Um, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And, you know, I'm not a Greek scholar, but according to everyone I've listened to, that word you, you are being built together. That is plural. So y'all, <laughs> y'all are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so we don't need to go into this too much, but I, I think, you know, that year that we shall not speak of really showed to us how much we need local gatherings of believers that long distance TV church is, is not it. I mean, it's thank goodness for that. Thank goodness we could still have biblical instruction and, and sort of worship, <laughs> but that is not it. You know, that is not the whole sum of it. You got to have meals together. You got to sit down and talk together and do things together. And that's, that's why you need a local church. It's not enough just to be a podcast Christian. I mean, we, we thank you for listening to this podcast, but what we mean is don't just get your church from other podcasts of other sermons, like be a part of your local church. Exactly. And that's an idea that goes back to Genesis, that God created people to be in families, to be in community. The other idea there, especially after the fall, is how shall a righteous God dwell among his people. Well, the church is one way that he dwells among his people now and gets things done so that Christ can return to earth. In number 10 of this faith statement, uh, let's go real quick, though, to <laughs> kind of a big one here, especially at this time of the year. Number nine, marriage and family. And I'd like to say first that this is kind of a unique uh, aspect of the faith statement. There's some older faith statements that don't feel the need to include a specific item about this. Uh, even we here include it only after talking about the church because the capital C church among lower, with lowercase c churches takes precedent. But we feel it's necessary to qualify this one because there are many, uh, there's much confusion among Christians about marriage and family. Here's what we say about it. Quote, God gave humans many individual freedoms, yet defines marriage as one man and one woman uniting in a lifetime covenant. God intends marriage and family to help us reflect Christ's love for his church, to share the good of wedlock, to bear children, and to fill the earth as stewards of God's creation. In a fallen world, people may struggle with the effects of sin, such as divorce, male-female identities, unnatural attractions, or reproductive issues. 
God is faithful to help Christians endure trauma, temptations, and other weakness without sinning and will redeem repentant saints at the resurrection. Biblical Christians must confront many questions, but as of this statement, our culture is specifically subverting marriage and family. That fact requires this item. End quote. And I can hear some uh, people out there maybe wonder, well, when you say something about greed, say something about gluttony, like we will in Earth 2, in the parallel timeline in Earth 2, <laughs> where our culture is saying, hey, it's okay to stuff your face and all it's of that gluttony stuff. Month. It's okay yeah. to be greedy. <laughs> yeah, it'd be gluttony month. It'd be greed month. Okay, if, if there's a gluttony month or a greed month, uh, then we'll say something about it uniquely in the faith statement. Call it out. You know, hey, here's why God's given food. Here's why God's given us stuff. Uh, don't idolize the food. Don't idolize the stuff. But we decided to put this in now uh, because it is something that we want uh, Lorehaven creators to follow. Uh, it is something that we feel is very important enough to include in the faith statement. Yeah. So I want to give some truth and grace to this, as I was mentioning earlier. So uh, Matthew nineteen four through 6, it's Jesus speaking, saying, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And I quote this for a couple of reasons, Stephen. Number one, this is Jesus talking, okay? For everyone that says, oh, I only believe the red letters or whatever of the Bible, um, this is Jesus directly establishing the definition of marriage. It is one man and one woman, period. But also, he is quoting Genesis, which we talked about earlier. Is that literal people? Yes, Jesus certainly thought so. So I think we ought to, you know, look at that the same way. For anyone who thinks Jesus was squishy about this, he was absolutely direct. Like, this is marriage. Now, let me say something else here. No one's going to be perfect at this. There's all kinds of ways to mess this up. Even if you stay married to your spouse until you both die, there are going to be ways that you mess up this idea or, or this teaching. And so no one's going to be perfect at this, but we need to be repentant and we need to at least agree on what Jesus has established about this. We don't need to get into all the permutations of how human culture corrupts this institution. But yes, we do have to recognize that there are major organizations that say our goal is to disrupt the nuclear family. And, and use that phrase like in a bad way. And yes, I said nuclear. Yes, you did. But I did. did. I, I can't help it. <laughs> that's, a, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> but, but yes, it is absolutely under attack. And, uh, so we nuclear attack. Yeah. It's under nuclear attack. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to watch out for them. Nuclear weapons. They're raining nuclear destruction across the <laughs> nuclear landscape on the nuclear family. Oh, it just hurts my ears to I say it, it even when I'm saying it. Yeah, the, the important thing here is that if you understand that God has given people the call to steward creation, to go out, take care of the earth, take care of the planet, make stuff using God's stuff, then you must understand that part of that commandment is to be fruitful and multiply in the context of God-defined family structures. If you don't believe in God-defined family structures for whatever reason, then you logically cannot believe that humans have any stewardship call over the earth or any God-given gift of imagination uh, or making stuff using God's stuff, agriculture, science, technology, exploration, all of that stuff falls apart if you start chopping away at the foundation of the biblical family. So it all goes down or it all goes up together, and it should go up uh, for the glory of God, uh, not just for the enjoyment of humans. Speaking of going up, 
Let's go to point number 10, possibly the best one here of the faith statement. Point number 10, resurrection, quote, Jesus Christ will personally return to earth, exclamation point in the original text. He will complete his redemption of all things under his kingship. He will resurrect the saved and the lost. Jesus will perfectly judge all people, rewarding his adopted children with eternal happiness and punishing all who reject him with eternal unconscious suffering in a place the Bible calls the lake of fire. He will restore all things by renewing this universe called the new heavens and the new earth. In this world, every restored person will finally be able to worship God forever in all our adventures, exploring, working, playing, creating, and enjoying all for his glory. End quote. I I like ending with the word glory there. You just imagine this vast shimmering planet now fully redeemed. Uh, The glory of the Lord has filled the earth as the waters cover the sea is what one prophet said about this future promise. And that's why we do what we do at Lorehaven and as Christians in local churches, part of the Capital C Church. This is what we're looking forward to, the restoration of the planet under King Jesus. We are literally living in the hope of a future real life, fantastical world, a physical world in physical cosmos, the universe now redeemed in full service to God under his rulership. And that's the hope that we live in. Yeah. The key word there is physical. We're not going to live in some metaverse, you know, that's driven by a matryoshka brain that's powered by a Dyson sphere. And we're just, you know, disembodied minds floating around something science fictional, you know, it, we're going to be in real bodies. And my go-to verse here is actually in Job. I mentioned earlier, I wanted to kind of swing by Job and see what he has to say. So this is chapter 19, verse 25 and 6. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I absolutely love this verse. I love Stephen. that too. It, early resurrection hope from the very yes, beginnings. Right. And there, right there, it's everything we've talked about that we are going to be resurrected in physical bodies. Yes, this physical body will die. And yes, I will live in this body again after it has been redeemed. And yes, God in the for, in the person, not the form, in the person of Jesus Christ, he will physically stand on this earth. And yes, it's going to be a new earth but we are going to be here on this planet uh, forever. And, and yes, hopefully go to the stars, but this is where we're going to start out. And it's not just, we're going to float in heaven or something. We're, we're going to be here in this world. Amen. That's the future fantastical world. Uh, Earth will always be the capital planet of Christ's galactic empire. If there is one, although don't say empire, it's kingdom. Christ is the king. He's going to have a kingdom. And I highly doubt that's going to stop at the limits of Earth's orbit. Here is the key text from Revelation 21, 1 through 5, quote, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
end quote. It keeps going. Read Revelation 21. I do often. Uh, that's why I love this promise so much. That's why I wish we could say more about it. But we did, Zach. We have said more about resurrection here on the podcast and certainly at Lorehaven. Just go back in the podcast archives to, I think, spring 2020 is when we first started doing that for our epic resurrection series. But it's probably easier to find at lorehaven.com slash podcast. Well, to you, our listener, we'd love to know what other passages you had in mind as we went through these 10 points. What questions do you have? What, you know, try to stump us if you want. We're, we're not necessarily theological experts, but we'll do our best. And what other comments do you have on this topic? Send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com or tag us on social media. Just look for Lorehaven. And now let's turn to the comm station and see what, uh, you know, metaverse messages we have here. So one hero of the Lorehaven Guild remarked about our previous episode 114 with Daniel Friend and the testimony of Kevin Lewis. This person said, quote, that hideous strength stands apart from the other books of the space trilogy for several reasons, not the least of which is its setting. I wasn't aware of the connection to the abolition of man. And I have to add that to my to be read pile. I think Lewis himself delivered this as radio lectures, and it may be available on audio, end quote. Now, that would be really cool, Stephen. I don't think I've ever actually listened to any of Lewis's uh, radio lectures. I don't even know what the guy sounds like. And so I would love to go out and find this somehow. Lewis sounds basically like what you would expect, a a dry-ish English lecturer, you know, maybe speaking like (laughs) the Apostle Paul, where he, you know, his words have great strength, but he's not as physically imposing. But still, (laughs) come on, you're listening to, you know, Jack Lewis on the radio. Sometimes we forget uh, that he was in the modern era, at least for some modern technologies. And of course, uh, for that hideous strength, he was aware of some very modern problems. Another hero in the Lorehaven Guild said about the same episode, quote, I liked the dramatic podcast excerpt. It may be curious about podcast radio plays as a medium. Does anyone here consider themselves a fan of the medium or have any recommendations? It also occurs to me that the radio play could be a good bridge medium for nurturing a big idea to its next phase. Like Mike Naraki starting with a children's book series and working toward an animated television series, End quote. That's also a reference to our episode 113 with Mike Larry the Cucumber now Rocky. Also Mike the Dead Sea Squirrels now Rocky. Uh, he is finding success with that uh, kind of a tran- transmedium thing there going from books to radio dramas or in his case from books to a television show. And I like it that Christians are experimenting with that. It goes back to that original creation call. We make technology, we make stories, and then with stuff like this, we blend them together. And yes, I love dramatic podcasts. Uh, there's a few that I follow. There's kind of not very many of them, but I think there should be more. But of course, Christians have been experimenting with audio drama uh, going back before podcast was ever a word. Next on Fantastical Truth, finally, we're going to get to this topic again. Homeschool families, they're a little different, aren't they? Well, we all know their women wear denim skirts and they sit in their kitchens baking bread while their 11 teen children avoid college and get pressed into service on the family farm, as well as if they're really, really good, they may get a parent-arranged courtship. And of course, they shun fantasy, those homeschooling families and other myths about which we have three little words. Ha, ha, ha. That's a fantasy. In reality, homeschool parents and students love fantastical stories. And next week, a homeschool graduate and a Floridian, the same guy, will join us to explore why homeschooled students really, really love fantastical fiction. Meanwhile, regardless of your church background, 
get yourself a biblical statement of faith, whether it's the Apostles' Creed or a Nicene Creed or whatever creed you may get. Make sure it's grounded in Scripture, whatever its emphases. Make sure you apply that Scripture to the real world that Jesus calls us to serve. Any stories we make are for His glory, not just to fight sin. We need to stand on that foundation and understand the purpose that God has given us to serve Him and worship Him and glory in Him forever as we continue to seek and find His fantastical truth.